Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. So, Robbie, you recently experienced something pretty harrowing. PG&E preemptively shut down millions of people's power in anticipation for more fires, um, just like the Paradise Fires, which took the lives of 85 people. Absolutely horrifying. And PG&E tried to evade culpability by just preemptively shutting off millions of people's power for days on end. Um, and it, of course, it came out that another power line from PG&E had started another fire in the recent bout of fires that took over California about a month ago. So before we get into all of this, I wanted to just interview you really quickly about your personal experience about what happened with PG&E because you live in Oakland you were one of the millions of people whose power was shut off for days. And, you know, at the same time, it was probably really scary for you to not be able to communicate and not really know what was happening, you know, to not have cell phone service, to not be able to have internet, keeping up to date with all of this stuff going on. And at the same time, you know, the fires were encroaching in the area. So why don't you talk about what happened to you? Yeah, also known as there there's so many fires that have actually been called the Paradise Fire. If you look it up on Wikipedia, type in Paradise Fire, you'll find Did you mean Paradise Fire 2003? Did you mean Paradise Fire 2006? Did you mean Paradise Fire 2008? So, I guess there's been so many fires up there that they actually this one is called the Camp Fire because it was even larger than the Paradise area, but it happened mostly in Paradise. Um, just for anybody out there who's confused by, you know, if you look that up online, but yeah, 85 people, it's nuts. So yeah, I mean, my experience, uh, dealing with this, I mean, it all really hit me in a really personal way, obviously when PG&E, uh, the power company that largely services the state of California, they don't service everywhere in California, but in my area, most of the power um, and for most of the people in the surrounding cities, you know, uh, millions and millions of people, their gas and electricity are both serviced by this company, Pacific Gas and Electric. Um, it's been around forever. They are responsible for all of the electrical lines that they run their power through. And I have a lot to say about th- them as a company and what I, you know, what I just mentioned about the power lines, but. Yeah, my own situation, Abby. I mean, when I first moved out here to Oakland, um, I live in a wooded area in Oakland. Actually, within the first week that I moved out here in 2007, I woke up to the sound of what sounded to me like that sound at a rock guitar concert, or if anyone out there listening is like a guitar player familiar with playing guitar, that sound when you basically touch the amp cable when the amp is turned up all the way, where it's just like a loud buzz, like, you know, like a loud, like... 60 cycle tone i woke up to this buzzing sound in my house and i was like i just assumed that i had left my speakers on and a cable got unplugged or something it was the same exact sound that would happen if like i had my speakers turned up all the way and like the connection got broken between like the wire or something and i was like so i ran downstairs to turn my speakers off thinking i left my amp on totally wasn't that then i also realized in a daze uh, that the lights were flickering all throughout the house while this buzzing sound was happening. And I was like, what in the fuck is going on? Um, and I had experienced like brownouts as a kid. I mean, I remember, I think like even, you know, when we were kids, we probably experienced what a brownout was like when the lights dim, they don't go completely off. They just flicker or go dim. This was like a brownout on steroids. It felt like flickering my lights at like the highest possible intensity you can imagine in, a, in at once. So it was a rainstorm happening outside. So I was like, well, this has to have something to do with the rain. You know, what happened? Is this something happening just to my house? Like, what the fuck is this? It's something electrical. So I go outside. I open the front door. And all I see in front of me is literally like blue flashing, like in a film, like a movie. What? Like Terminator. 
Like, the, you know, in Terminator 1, when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger first appears, like blue lightning around that little orb that yeah. teleports him? It was like that. It was like blue flashing. And I immediately, in my head, clicked, oh, my God, there's a, there's a broken power line, and I need to shut the door. It's raining. It's obviously right in front of me somewhere. Um, so I closed the door, and then I just sort of, I, cl- I turn off the breaker. But right before I did, I realized that the flashing outside, this like surging electrical, you know, power line that had broken down in the rainstorm was like causing, that was the frequency in which my lights were flickering. Like I could see the lightning of the power line was like matching the flickering of my lights. And I was like, holy shit, this is really scary. Turn off my breaker. And we just sort of, I think Lori was, you know, she fell back asleep. She was like, like totally dead tired. And I was just sitting there watching the PG&E crews come and, and um, you know, through this rainstorm. I couldn't go outside. I was watching it through my window, them basically dealing with this broken power line. And it was out there, like, flailing in the rainstorm for, like, 20 minutes. It was, at, it was, it was one of the scariest things I've ever seen. I'm surprised they so, even came to try to fix it that quickly. I know. Well, I mean, I think in, in terms of a, of a down power line... Um, that's like shooting off electricity it could kill so many people. The liability for them is like so high. It, besides like an active ongoing gas leak situation, it's like the main thing the emergency crews respond to. Um, so I was like, wow, you know, I'd never really seen anything like that before. It was like something out of a movie. And I really didn't even get a good look at it because I was too scared to go outside again. Um, you know, the sound, just alone, the sound sounded super intense just in the air when you walked outside. It was it was really crazy. So this was right when I first moved up here. So I knew immediately that there was issues with the way the power lines are set up here. None of them are buried underground. There are power lines going to every individual house in my neighborhood. There are also basically trees going in and out of every power line that you see in my neighborhood. Um, the power lines are weaving in and out of the branches. Even when they cut around uh, tree branches around here, you'll still see like trees that have grown around the lines that they can't even actually cut through because they've literally grown all the way around the line. So sometimes if you're looking at some of the areas in California I'm talking about, notice these little, sometimes you'll see these little pieces of wood that are just hanging off of the power line. That's because that's they couldn't cut it off because it's like literally grown right around the line, like a little tiny piece of branch. There are so many wooded areas with power lines basically just touching every single tree that's in the area. It's something that would essentially cost billions and billions of dollars to actually fix. And to do it even just on like a manual level, even if you had the funding to do it, would probably take years to actually do as well. It would be an extremely huge undertaking. It is basically a sign that our infrastructure here is in complete decline. This is not what people, you know, people idealize America as being... You know, we're better than these other countries that have like crumbling infrastructures. They can't maintain their bridges or their, you know, their electricity goes off or whatever. It's like, this is a really serious issue that actually I can't even compare to any other country that has this much populated areas, this connected to a completely crumbling power infrastructure that supplies this many millions of people with electricity. I mean, it's a really unprecedented thing. I don't even think there's any other situation on the planet that you can actually compare this to. And I'm not saying that people around the world are not suffering from lack of electricity. Obviously they are. Um, and it's a huge deal in you know places like Gaza, in Iraq even, um, where the power is turned off for so long, or places where there's no electricity whatsoever. There's no infrastructure for it. But this is different, and this is supposed to be California. This is, it, it's the Bay Area. It, and it's basically where Silicon Valley is, I suppose, you know, tech utopia is. One of the largest economies in the world. One of the largest economies in the world, yeah. I think it's like the fifth largest economy in the world. And yet it is dependent on a increasingly alarming lack of uh, or, or water situation and a crumbling, devastating, extremely old, decrepit power infrastructure. And then to top that off, you have the real effects of actual climate change that are becoming, starting to become way more noticeable in California specifically. The drought, 
the dryness of the brush, the dryness of the trees, the amount of dead trees has grown. It's, it's kind of like this confluence of circumstances that's really created a very dangerous scenario. But back to my own personal story, once this first happened, when I first moved out here, I knew immediately that I was going to be dealing with issues like this. PG&E, the company, had offered vouchers, I guess like some kind of tax rebate or something for people to bury their power lines at the cost of something like 15 grand or like over 10 grand. So you could pay out of pocket over $10,000 and they will hire a contractor to bury your line for you. But that doesn't really make a difference for the whole system because one of the lines goes down, the whole neighborhood, the whole system chain goes down. It's like Christmas lights. People don't realize that these aren't, you know, they really did fuck up designing our power system. It really is very similar to the Christmas old school Christmas light scenario. You pull one light out and every all the other lights go out too. So even if you bury your own power line and make yourself more or less susceptible to all these problems with the trees and the weather affecting the lines out here, as if your neighbor's power line's not buried and a tree hits it, your house is going to go down too. So it almost doesn't matter. Robbie, all of this was compounded recently by PG&E, like you said, preemptively cutting power to 2 million people. I mean, this compounded the danger of the fires, you know, with these blackouts of basically unprecedented scope. How did that affect you? What was that like? And how scary was that in, in the most recent fires? Well, I mean, the idea of a fire happening up here alone is a scary thought. Um, the Oakland Hills firestorm was a devastating fire. Um, it was a fire that people always remember who lived in the Bay Area. Of one of the most devastating fires that's ever happened. Um, I personally experienced a lot of personal loss in the ghost ship fire that happened in Oakland. So I have sort of a weird connection to fire. And I actually witnessed um, three houses be completely engulfed in flames, 40-story flames about five blocks down from where I live currently. And uh, I actually evacuated my home in a panic. So these are all very real things for me. I don't take them for granted. It's not just that I live in California, as these things are very close and can happen really at any time. When I heard that PG&E was going to start doing these deliberate controlled blackouts, because by their calculations, they were doing it to prevent wildfires, my immediate thought was, well, wait, hold on a second here. You guys caused the wildfires by not fixing your equipment. So they're telling us now that they're literally going to turn off our power vault. They're going to do it on purpose because they don't want to be responsible for any more wildfires. They're not literally saying they don't want to be responsible for it. They're acting like this is a necessary public safety measure. And that they have to do this. Obviously, that's not really what's happening. As we're going to go into in a little bit, the history of this and what actually led up to PG&E doing this is extremely, extremely sketchy. And I'm going to start that timeline by talking about what a lot of people might forget is the San Bruno gas uh, pipeline disaster. But on a personal level, Abby, this was basically a total wake-up call for me where I realized that not only is a corporation able to just completely, on a whim, take away your ability to really do anything, to communicate with the outside world, to entertain your, to use any form of electricity, it's a huge deal. Yeah. First of all. Um, so that made me feel just really vulnerable, just in this system that we live in, that this could happen. And just on like a human, human level, like, I realized, wow, like, I don't even really trust a lot of my neighbors. Like, I know some of them a little bit. You know, I'd ask someone <laughs> to pick up my mail. But beyond that, like, I don't really know these people. We don't, we don't know our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying just me personally. I mean, most people yeah. don't know their neighbors, don't know their actual community they live in. So when something happens to you where you feel this vulnerable, when you're like, oh, my God, like, you know, my house could be robbed. They know, you know, like... They're announcing these blackouts so people could be casing the neighborhoods now. It's pitch black. Like, I live far enough away from, like, city lights or traffic lights where it's pitch black up here. It's kind of terrifying. And 
then you also realize, oh, when the power is down, when they turn off the power everywhere, they're also disabling the cell phone towers and all the internet. So it's not just that you can't make most cell phone calls when you try. It's that also even your cell phone internet doesn't work also. I mean, of course, your own Wi-Fi network will go down at home because that requires like a cable modem or a DSL you know, modem or something like that, which requires electricity. But you would think your cell phone would still work. No, it's actually not the case. When they black out this many areas at once, it actually makes cell phones completely unusable. I mean, I guess I didn't realize that that was the case. But so just to, so people understand why I'm talking about this or why I want to talk about this is I experience about 48 hours straight of no power in my home from one of these rolling blackouts. And I remember even telling, like saying this on Twitter and there are people who are like 48 hours. Like that's ridiculous. Like I've never heard of anything like that. Like they were like in New York, we had like a 12 hour blackout where people thought it was the end of the world. Like that's a, that's 48 hours. That sounds insane. Like, I don't think people really understand how big of a deal that is. Let's say you're a family who can't afford to replace all your food immediately because 48 hours is enough time for everything in your refrigerator and freezer to spoil pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So let's just say it on that level. If you're a family of four and you don't already have like a gigantic cooler or a portable freezer or something, what are you going to do with all that food? You're literally going to have to just waste it all or bring it to a friend's house. If you have a friend's house that has a fridge that's outside of the power zone, this is a time where you actually realize who sort of your real friends and your sort of allies are in life. Who's going to support you? It's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, some of my friends reached out to me and were like, hey, you can use, you know, my power if you need to, you know, like I, I can help you out. So it was nice to sort of realize like who I could rely on in this scenario of course, mom was outside the power zone and I was able to rely on her. Very thankful for her being there and, you know, having lanterns and bat like char rechargeable batteries and things like that, that I could bring back to my place. But then at the same time, what am I going to do at my place when there's no electricity? Um, it's completely dark. And on top of it, Abby, this idea of they're doing this to prevent fire. What do most normal people have to resort to in a blackout for light? Candles. Candles, which cause a lot of fires. Candles, traditionally speaking, have led to many fires. Like, that, this is a fire-causing implement. They can tip over. They can very easily start a house fire. Even the guy in your fucking documentary talks about how mm -hmm. dangerous it is mm -hmm. that they lose electricity so much. He's like, my kids can knock over these candles. Like, I'm scared. It, it, it's shitty. And, and you don't even feel comfortable going to sleep, obviously, if your candle's still keeping your house lit. So that's another weird thing. And then also, a lot of people are going to resort to generators, which can also start fires. Generators let off gasoline fumes. They require gasoline. If you use a generator in too enclosed an area, it could start a fire. If people are carting around canisters of gasoline everywhere, that can start a fire. Gas fumes on their own can start a fire. So you're basically forcing probably hundreds of people who can afford it, including, I'll, I'll just tell you as an anecdote, I went to Home Depot to buy some stuff, and Ricky Henderson, the baseball player, was there buying a generator during the blackout because his house was in the blackout zone. So he could afford to buy a generator. I, I don't know anything about his uh, level of savviness with generators, but let's just say for the sake of argument, that most people probably rushing stores to buy generators really had never used them before and probably don't know generator safety. Mm -hmm. So that's another factor. So you're basically forcing hundreds of people to go out there, fill up gas cans who don't even know how to fill up a gas can probably, which is extremely dangerous. I mean, if you're making all these people panic and buying gasoline, lighting candles... There should um, be some sort of safety training mechanism as well as free masks and stuff that are handed out by the actual municipalities that are affected. Exactly, Abby. And one really other interesting component to this that it really hit home for me is that I feel like society in California or in the United States, we've just gotten so acquiescent to being fucked around with by corporations and being beholden to them and being controlled by them, that it's almost like the lack the, the lack of outrage, mm -hmm. the amount 
it was almost non-existent. Even just talking to people, trying to have a conversation with people about it, it surprised me how little actual outrage I was feeling out there from other people. And that scares me deeply. I find that chilling because this is when you would expect people, when their livelihoods are being threatened like this, and I'm not saying that people's lives are literally under threat, but people actually did die as a result of these blackouts. And yeah, you could say people who were dependent on electricity should have had battery backups to survive or whatever, but you know, an old guy with an oxygen tank who forgot to switch over to his battery backup when the blackout happened, fell asleep and died. Oh, um, these, these are real consequences. So here you have Gavin Newsom, the mayor, this is what, how he's using his power of his political office. He's going around to old people's homes, elderly people's homes, and making these videos for like social media saying, please, PG&E, help this guy out. Don't let him like strand him with this where he needs like a whatever, like battery power wheelchair or whatever. Like it's like that's his version of putting PG&E's feet to the fire. And I find that incredibly horrifying. That that is like what the <laughs> governor of California is doing to use his political power. Is well, didn't, he's you literally, just, didn't you tell me that he got like some lobbying cash from them? Oh, no. His campaign was like bankrolled by them. But oh it's just God. like, what a fucking phony joke. This is so it's like you're begging. You're, this is so even just the framing on a surface level. You're showing to the public that the governor is like begging PG&E, like almost like pleading with them. It's like, no. You should be acting like you have the authority over them because on a lot of levels you actually do if you actually had balls and fucking used your gubernatorial power or whatever you call it. That is so disgusting. Did he should be, be like, out PG there. Do the right thing. Do yeah. the right thing, PG&E. He should be out there demanding, saying this is a criminal act, that PG&E is forcing this many people to go off power for this long. This is unacceptable. That is also really shocking how the lack of public outrage from our representatives any of the people elected office anybody in elected office there was like a couple city council people i think maybe a mayor you know some mayors are saying more aggressive things than anybody else i'm hearing you know of these local towns where their whole power has been cut off for not just two days like mine was and i just was i wasn't only cut off for two days i was cut off for another day as well that happened 10 days before that but there are other towns in the Bay Area, Abby, that have actually been out of power for four to five days straight. And this is not, I need to stress again, this is not PG&E's like, oops, because of the windstorms, our power grids are going offline, our equipment's failing. This is PG&E deliberately doing a blackout saying because the wind is coming, we're going to turn off the power until the wind is over. Because we do not want to be responsible for any of our power lines causing any fires. That's what the, that's literally what this is. Absolutely insane. I mean, I know that Bernie Sanders came out and said it's time to nationalize, not PG&E directly, but I got a campaign notification saying add your name to the petition to to nationalize PG&E after he said we need to nationalize public utilities, which is part of the Green New Deal. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that this is outrageous. How much are well, we going to let PG&E get away with? Yeah, I mean, in this specific case, it needs to be taken over or something needs to be done to... Because this is basically the example of what happens when I, you try to hold a corporation accountable to the law. And I will right. go into a very detailed timeline laying out exactly why what PG&E is doing is a reaction to... The people, legal mechanisms in this state trying to hold them accountable for literal crimes. And PG&E's response is to pass the liability onto the consumer and to throw their hands up and say, well, if you're going to try to hold us liable for committing crimes, well, we're just going to fucking fuck you and fucking leave three fucking million Americans out of electricity for weeks. And you can't do a goddamn fucking thing about it. And that is like one hostage. of the most extreme abuses i've ever seen by a corporation like and, and and yeah there's been so many other examples bp oil disaster we can go into so many other examples but this is like something that is such a direct fuck you to the legal system that it's it's hard to actually compare it to something else in recent times it would almost be like bp 
saying they're going to raise the price of oil or like lobby OPEC to like raise the price of oil $2 if they had to like pay anything for the like the Horizon uh, rig oil disaster or something. I mean, it's it would be kind of like that. It's a threat. It's like almost like extortion yeah. what PG&E yeah. is doing. Yeah. And let me throw something in there really quick before you get into this timeline is that in 1993, people may have forgotten that Aaron Brockovich actually filed a class action lawsuit against PG&E for dumping hundreds of millions of gallons of carcinogenic water in Hinkley, California. They still haven't cleaned any of it up. And, you know, this is before all the gas payouts and stuff over the next 25 years. But it's interesting to know that, like, they did this then. You know, again, a deliberate poisoning of of groundwater yeah i think starting this timeline and getting people to go back to the time of the san bruno gas pipeline disaster um will really shed some light on what's really going on here because on one side you can argue that this infrastructure is collapsing that is a fact and that's not like an opinion-based thing that's not like a political point of view even pg&e will admit to that in court documents that is like an indisputable fact that this infrastructure is over, in some cases, over 100 years old. The main power tower that apparently caused the campfire, that was the ignition point for the campfire, the power tower responsible for it was over 100 years old. And I'm not even talking about like a tower that was like, modified or like oh yeah they like you know they really refurbish this tower yeah you know like something could be a hundred years old but you refurbish it to be like brand new you know they might be just using like a hundred year old tree trunk so what no this there was a hundred years old like not fucking fucked with a hundred years old it's a hundred year old power pole you can see pictures of it it looks a hundred years old so robbie let's go back to explaining really quickly something that people may have forgotten that preceded all these devastating fires, which is the San Bruno blast, the devastating explosion that badly injured 58 people, left eight people dead in a neighborhood in San Bruno, dozens more probably wounded and lightly injured, but severely destroyed 55 houses Uh, It was really horrifying. I mean, I've been reading about this to prepare for the podcast and people in the neighborhood were smelling gas days before this explosion happened. They claimed to have seen PG&E trucks there on site. So, of course, when the blast happened um, and, and took the lives of so many people and just completely ruined so many more lives, PG&E, of course, was just like, we have no idea how this happened. No clue, right? Totally just unpredictable. Well, turns out they knew exactly what was going on. And just like a couple other disasters, like the Deep Horizon disaster and some other pipeline pipelines that blow up, um, Greg Palast, an investigative reporter, investigated the San Bruno explosion. And he found that they were using what's called a PIG, what he calls a PIG, a pipeline inspection robot. Um, that are deliberately misprogrammed to underreport dangerous pipeline cracks just so companies like PG&E can save a couple bucks on repairs. So all of these people died because they deliberately misprogrammed this robotic pig that did find cracks. And when it does find cracks, it squeals. It's supposed to squeal as an alarm to show you that there are cracks that need to be fixed. And so they program this to actually not squeal. <laughs> and this is what's happened in so many of these disasters. So this is why um, they were convicted. They were convicted because they were found to have broken the law um, on five felony counts of basically violating pipeline safety laws, one felony count of obstructing the investigation. So I'm going to read a really quick portion from the LA Times right now. Because it's important to realize that, oh, yeah, even though they were found guilty and paid a small fine, which was like literally a slap on the wrist, no one was actually found criminally culpable. And I think that's really important to explain that, quote, there are no real consequences for any of the actual people in this case. 
no one went to jail or was put on probation. In fact, not one PG&E executive was charged. Former PG&E chief executive and president Pete, Peter Darby, who retired in 2011 with a $35 million payout, didn't take the stand at the trial to explain what happened, and neither did other top executives. It was just the corporation itself on trial. And you can't very well send a company to jail or sentence it to picking up litter on the side of the freeway. Nobody at PG&E is a criminal, Stephen Bauer, the utilities attorney, said during the trial. Technically true, I guess, but in reality, we all know that corporations don't just act on their own. It's the people in the corporations who made the decisions that led to the criminality. Just to let people know how devastating this really was, it wasn't just eight people who were killed. I mean, as I mentioned, 58 really badly injured. You know, some of these people had third degree burns that had to get skin grafts all over their body. Um, One of these people, Joey Rugomos, um, basically had to have his whole body re-engineered. He was painstakingly rebuilt piece by piece. Um, I'm going to read a really quick quote from the SF Chronicle. It says, Rigomez's upper body is covered by mottled skin grafted on after his original skin burnt off in sheets. His muscles fused together by flame have been reorganized by surgery so his limbs can move. His right foot has almost no ability to move. It's almost as useful as a chunk of wood. And this is just a young kid. This is a young kid. And, and, and the, the tragedies, like when you just look at the personal stories of who died, it's, it's just unbelievable. But again, just more casualties in this corporation's uh, legacy of horror that they leave behind. And like that guy said, there are no criminals at PG&E, Robbie. We're a corporation. It's a very strange thing that happened. So when it happened, I mean, San Jose Mercury News ran a headline saying PG&E gets maximum sentence for San Bruno crimes. So when you read that, you're thinking, oh, all the executives got like some of them got thrown in jail or something. But the actual story is that the company itself was convicted of felonies. Now, a corporation, by its very definition, nobody is liable. That's like the whole point. So to convict a actual corporation, I don't know the legal precedent for this, but it's very strange. And all the the federal judge was able to do apparently, is impose a maximum fine of $3 million and branding the utility as a convicted felon, which just sounds really strange to say a company is a convicted felon. But here's the weird part, Abby. Apparently, um, that $3 million fine was PG&E had to run TV advertisements explaining how they were responsible for the San Bruno disaster, their level of liability. They had to explain the convictions in television ads using that $3 million. And PG&E, apparently, this, I don't even believe that this actually was put through because this sounds almost too hard to believe that this happened. But it says that the federal judge also ordered PG&E to perform 10,000 hours of community service. Now, that could really mean anything. But it <laughs> right. says, what does that mean? But it says also including 2,000 hours to be performed by executives such as, quote, high-level personnel, the court decided. Now, I can absolutely guarantee you that the top people who sit on the board of PG&E and the top-level executives never had to do a goddamn thing. So this was probably some sort of weird PR thing they rolled out where they made some of their employees for a public spectacle go out and do community service. Yeah, I like was pick up even- trash on the side of the freeway. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of that that happened. So this is a really big deal. Um, I mean, they're they're on probate, you know, they're put on probation, like as if they were some kind of, you know, convicted criminal after this happened for five years. Now, this, it all goes back to this. What's happening now all goes back to this. And just to emphasize what Abby was saying earlier about how horrifying this disaster was, San Bruno is not some town out in the middle of nowhere. It's right next to San Francisco. These houses were literally leveled to the ground, turned to ash. I mean, like you look at the disaster zone, it looks like a nuke hit it. I mean, it's it's not just like a gas, you know, pipeline exploded and it caused some fires in a neighborhood. This was like a fucking bomb, like war, almost like scenario. When the media first reported on this, um, when the local news was trying to cover what was going on and, and, and the choppers were in the air... For the first 20 to 30 minutes, Abby, they thought it was a plane crash. 
Um, they thought it was some kind of massive plane crash into this neighborhood because that's what the devastation looked like from the sky. Now, PG&E didn't even acknowledge uh, what was going on, I think, until something like 45 minutes to an hour into the fires that were that were, people were like dying, you know, right before our very eyes on television. Um, and additionally, PG&E did not turn off the gas in the San Bruno pipeline where the pipeline exploded for 40 minutes after the explosion occurred. Um, this is like beyond incompetence. It's so many levels beyond incompetence that it is criminal. And as Abby was saying earlier, their monitoring system to determine if there were leaking pipes um, was designed to not notify them if there were problems with the pipes. So they could just say that they did their due diligence and, and you know, sending these, uh, these testing robots or whatever they are. It was a really, really sad tragedy when this happened. It was a criminal act on PG&E's part. And essentially, ever since this act occurred, Abby, they have been trying basically to fuck every customer of theirs in California and pass the liability onto them. And the timeline I'm going to read you now will clearly lay out how that's the case. So let me just start with just some opinion here. Um, Greg Palast, he's been writing and investigating PG&E for a long time. When the rolling blackouts were first announced by PG&E this year, 2019, Greg Palast started posting some stuff, uh, some of it written by him, some of it written by other people. Um, he, he, he posted a blog post saying, PG&E is a crime wave, not a power company. Blackout is blackmail. Um, and he says the PG&E blackout con is all about threatening the judge in the PG&E bankruptcy case. The victims have joined with the bondholders to eliminate the equity of the stockholders who deserve nothing. So in desperation, the power company pigs are turning off your lights. Hopefully the judge will not be intimidated. Leaving hospitals, schools, and one million homes without power, and that means without water, and California is the end game of deregulation mania. Um, so yeah. And he asked at the end, where is the California utility commission? Um, this is a very strange thing that's happening is that a company that committed a criminal act and murdered almost 10 people with a gas pipeline explosion that they could have easily prevented is now punishing their own customers and millions of California, uh, homeowners or people who rely on electricity they're basically blackmailing them um, because, because they, the law was actually enforced on them. Um, they cannot, in, in PG&E's mind, they are unwilling and unable to do the infrastructure repair that is necessary to prevent all these forest fires that they're causing. Um, and that's Can the I bottom line. Can I jump in line. here really quick? Yeah. One really interesting thing that I found in the nation is that speaking to your point about how they've punished the consumer for having to pay these fines in the past because of their criminal culpability, PG&E's gas and electricity rates on average are 35% higher than those of Sacramento's publicly owned municipal utility. PG&E is among the highest in the entire country. Yeah, And like you were saying, there's no option for consumers. Sure, there's ways to live off the grid, but that requires costs. That requires technical knowledge. Even if you did the most traditional solar setup that's normally done, that's designed to feed into the power system's grid. It's not designed most of the time when you, when you order like a solar panel thing on your roof. It's not designed to keep you lasting through a blackout. It's designed to siphon power and feed it back into the power company's general grid and they give you a discount on your bill. That's what, it, that's what most people do when they do solar. So for people who are saying, why don't, why don't people just do solar or battery backup? This is not a, a, tra a transition that people can just make in within like a 48-hour period. Once yeah, Robbie, PG just take personal, take personal responsibility, Robbie. Stop blaming the corporations. It's so... That is, to me, one of the weirdest mentalities ever. When people actually get contrarian with you 
when you're complaining about a corporation fucking so many people when they're when they actually want to argue with you about how it's not the corporation's fault and then it gets even dumber when people like that actually say it's the liberals fault it's the environmentalist oh, fault, wow. Abby. or or well, as in dave rubin's case it's the sjw's <laughs> fault abby because he says that they're um that they will only hire like diverse gender queer firefighters or something what the fuck was he talking about this psychotic loser he's a fucking idiot I cannot believe how dumb Dave Rubin is. Let's go back to the topic at hand. I mean, all these people that we're talking about, they would they would mock people for being outraged at PG&E doing this, or they would blame liberals or social justice warriors. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of populism that like any of these people actually espouse genuine populism to try to harness people's sort of natural outrage at this happening is a joke. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about populism. You know, this is this would be the real. This is like the real meat of it. Millions of people are being affected by a corporation telling them that they can't have power. The corporation is not, you know, having disruptions in their grid that are causing these blackouts. They are forcing the blackouts on the population. So where are the populists with this? Where do they all go? But all those people do is blame liberals and liberalism for the forest fires and this situation, which is just bizarre. Because you would think that everybody, regardless of political ideology, could get behind this idea that it is outrageous what pg e is doing. And it is criminal. But let me just go back to, um, I, I know we started, we, we kind of got off track here, but uh, the, you know, one of the biggest fires ever, as we were mentioning when this episode started, um, of the last, I think actually in California's history, the one of the biggest wildfires in California's history was determined to have been caused by a PG&E power line. This is from, there's actually a really good website called utilitydive.com that does a lot of sort of blow-by-blow reporting of PG&E. And uh, it says on one of their articles that, quote, each of the fires in Butte, Nevada counties was caused by trees coming into contact with PG&E power lines, Cal Fire said. And in three of the smaller fires, the agencies found evidence the utilities violated state laws on vegetation management. Um, and in a response to basically Cal Fire determining that they were responsible for this, PG&E said it wants to work with state li- lawmakers to address unsustainable policies regarding wildfire liability. So basically this is PG&E's going in position is that it doesn't matter that the judges are finding them, doesn't matter that they're finding them liable for these fires, is that the actual act of vegetation management and like, um, you know, wildfire liability, like making sure that they're, they, you know, they 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 prevent wildfires, is unreasonable and unsustainable, according to them. Even though they are responsible for the entire power grid, so this is their so it's a bizarre position to take. Is that they're saying it's unsustainable and unreasonable to do what is required to do to, to for public safety, and they're just blatantly saying that. So that's a very interesting what, what's going on is that a corporation can just be like, no, this is unsustainable. And it gets worse, Abby. I think it was, it happened actually in early 2017. And then in June 2017, a few months after that, PG&E got slapped again with more liability from California fire investigators. From Utility Dive, again, it says electrical equipment owned by Pacific Gas and Electric caused 12 wildfires that killed 18 people and burned hundreds of square miles in California last October, the state's fire management agency said. The utility violated state law governing vegetation management in eight of the wildfires Cal Fire said in the release of its investigation, including blazes that killed nine people. PG&E was also found at fault for four wildfires in separate investigation released last month. So basically what happened is after PG&E got slapped with both of these events, PG&E responded with that it is warning state lawmakers that it may need to declare bankruptcy or reorganize depending on its liability for the wildfires that devastated parts of California. So they're already announcing as they're getting slapped with more fines, these fines are piling on. While they're in the middle of one investigation for a fire that happened last year, another fire happens and then that gets investigated and then it's they're determined liable for that and then they get slapped with more fines. And while this process is happening in 2007, pg is like, look, uh, we're, we're probably going to need to declare bankruptcy here because these are too many fines. 
And what is that code for? We're going to have to bail them out. Exactly. And so man of the people governor, you know, Jerry Brown, who used to be this like, you know, celebrated progressive, he signed into law a ridiculous piece of legislation, Abby, that allows PG&E to raise their rates to offset wildfire liability. So it's not just that PG&E is slyly doing this. They're actually allowed to, by a law, explicitly passed into law by Jerry Brown, that they are allowed to offset their own liability costs by raising our rates. So that 30% overage of what's normally, like from Sacramento's power utility company, that could be explained by this. And it's just going to keep going up and up and up, Abby. There's no, there is no cap. There is no regulation to put a cap on this. The fucking progressive former governor of California literally allowed them to do exactly what I'm talking about. Absolute tragedy that that, that, that would be sort of legally sanctioned. There yeah. are laws in California where you can't just willy-nilly raise someone's rent 30% because you got hit with like a, you know, say if you were liable for some damage, water damage, your, your you know, rental property... You can't just all of a sudden offset that liability and be like, here, now the tenant's going to pay that 30% cost. You know, that's going to help me pay for that. You can't do that. California limits the amount you can raise someone's rent, I think, per year. It's a very small incremental amount. Now, there are ways to get around that. There are loopholes, and landlords do this all the time, where they'll evict a tenant for false reasons or false pretenses and then raise the rent for the new tenant. That's something that happens constantly in San Francisco. So not saying that these regulations are perfect, but it's shocking that there isn't a regulation in place to cap off the amount of utilities PG&E is able to charge, especially while this is happening. I mean, it is kind of shocking. Under a year after that, Abby, on October 15, 2018, PG&E lines were, were determined to have caused the 2017 Cascade Fire that killed four people. State officials said, quote, a high wind event in conjunction with the power line sag on two conductors caused the line to come into direct contact, which created an electrical arc, Cal Fire said in a release. The electrical arc deposited hot burning or molten material onto the ground in a receptive fuel bed, causing the fire. So, yeah, I mean, one factor we haven't talked about very much here is climate change. It is true that the vegetation, the brush, the trees in California are much drier than they typically are. And these fires happen on these hot, drier days of the year, these windier days of the year. So that is definitely playing a role into this also. But if PG&E got its shit together and they were regulated and someone came in and basically forced them to do the right thing, we would we would not be having these kinds of wildfires all the time. Um, that's just a fact. Yeah, it'll be expensive for, to fix all these power lines. Yeah, it'll be expensive to upgrade the power grid, but we have to do it. There's no other, you can't solve global warming now and, and stop what's happening in California. Even if climate change somehow reversed overnight, you would still be going forward into this crumbling, completely decrepit, in some cases over a hundred year old power grid that is crumbling by the day. So, even if you eliminate the problem of global warming, it's still a huge, serious problem that needs immediate like repair. There's just no other way to look at it. And that same day, Abby, uh, that they were determined liable for the Cascade Fire, PG&E cut power to more than 17,000 customers in Lake Napa and Sonoma counties based on the risk for wind gusts above 50 miles per hour, the company announced. Less than an hour later, it said 42,000 customers in El Dorado, Amador, and Calaveras counties also had their electricities turned off. Nearly 60,000 customers remained without power until Monday morning. That's almost the entire weekend. Most customers will see service restored after the weekend, the utility said. So this was a sly early preview of what PG&E was going to do when they were, de were basically deemed liable for these fires. Is on the same weekend... Where the, like right after the you know the judge deemed them liable for this Cascade fire, they announced a shutoff of almost a hundred thousand power customers all across the uh, you know Northern California. Some of these counties are more rural. I haven't really you know I don't go to them very much, but that's still a lot of people. But this actually I don't even remember this really generating any headlines. This was actually barely in the news. So 
This is just to make people understand that PG&E has been planning to do this and to fuck this many Californians for a long time. This is obviously something they had been talking about doing. It's been going on for over a year. And when I say it's been going on, I mean the deliberate rolling blackouts that PG&E is putting in place. And in 2008, the campfire, aka the 2000, 2018, the campfire, aka the 2018 Paradise Fire, was the most destructive fire in the history of California. It was also calculated to be the most expensive natural disaster of that year in the entire world. 85 wow. deaths, one missing, 12 injured, total damage $16.5 billion, $4 billion uninsured. Um, I knew someone, I have a personal friend who lost their home in the Paradise Fire. They were insured, luckily. But what you learn in a situation like that is it's, it's really fucking hard. It's a really shitty, hard situation, even if you're insured. It's, it's, it's a lifesaver. 85 dead. My God. Yeah. And before PG&E was even deemed partially responsible for the fire from their electrical equipment, they decided to preemptively file for bankruptcy, stating they couldn't handle the burden of being made liable for the California wildfires. So right after this fire happened, Abby, you know, there was investigations taking place and PG&E was already putting the machinery in place to file for bankruptcy. They were already announcing they were going to do it. They were already talking about doing it. So it wasn't a surprise when they eventually did it because only a few months later they did. But let me read this to you. So on January 10th, 2019, about nine months after that, Gavin Newsom's first day on the job, who, by the way, Gavin Newsom's uh, gubernatorial campaign was subsidized by the tune of $300,000 by PG&E. His first day on the job, he meets with PG&E and says to Bloomberg, visiting state and fire emergency response personnel in Colfax on Tuesday, I try to be objective about these things as much as I can. My role for the state of California is to protect your interests and not PG&E's interests, but sometimes those interests align, and that's where it gets complicated, he continued. Huh. Um, and that, what a bullshit thing to say. I mean, literally both sides in this argument, acting like, we need to protect or help PG&E because those interests actually align with the, the consumer. I mean, it's just such a shockingly inadequate response for a representative of the people to speak that way about this. I mean, talk about trying to stifle and suppress outrage. I mean, where is the outrage? It's almost like he's gaslighting people into not being outraged about this. It's like, well, we also need to like worry about PG&E because our, our interests actually align with them. The underlying message there is don't be too upset at PG&E. That's what I take from that. So he spent his first full day on the job focusing on the continuing problems with PG&E, and he explored several options to address those liabilities that they were taking on. According to Utility Dive, at the time he got in, those could run more than $30 billion in liability. Just a few days after that, Abby... After this beautiful meeting that Gavin, Mag uh, Gavin McGinnis, Gavin that, Gav that Gavin Newsom had with PG&E, I mean, guess what they did? So that he probably thought, I don't know what he thought, but I guess he thought this looked good to come out and say that their interests are aligned, that he's trying to, you know, uh, help the situation. Only four days after this meeting, this beautiful meeting they had together, uh, Utility Dive uh, from the website announces uh, Pacific Gas and Electric on January 14, 2019, we'll file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection near the end of the month, the company announced on Monday, as it attempts to deal with up to $30 billion in liabilities associated with the 2017 and 2018 wildfire seasons. Ten days after that, PG&E balks a judge's potential $150 probation terms as it faces bankruptcy. $150 billion. Yeah. After the San Bruno gas explosion disasters that PG&E was deemed responsible for, criminally responsible for by the state of California, they have been on probation this whole time. And under those terms, about $150 billion of overhaul of their infrastructure was ordered by a judge since those original fines. And what does PG&E do? They literally in court say they cannot do that. They just say no. That's literally what they did if you read the transcripts. About 10 days after that, a federal judge concluded PG&E violated its probation related to the deadly San Bruno, California gas pipeline explosion in 2010 and suggested that he may adopt further restrictions on the utility before next fire season. 
U.S. District Judge William Alsup denounced the utility's record in court on Wednesday, saying there is one clear pattern here. PG&E is starting these fires. His conclusion gives credence to new terms and wildfire mitigation requirements he proposed earlier this month, which the utility says could cost $150 billion. Well, yeah, it will cost a lot of money. That's what we've been saying. This infrastructure is completely fucking in disrepair. It will cost a lot of money to fix it, but it absolutely needs to be fixed. These wildfires are going to keep happening. This is a fact. You cannot escape this fact. It needs to be fixed. A month after this, in February, from Utility Dive, quote, PG&E's new mitigation plan would expand its proactive shutoff policy, potentially impacting every customer in its service territory. Critics of the utility were quick to say the plan was ineffective and necessitated by PG&E's repeated criminal behavior, which is absolutely true. They basically announced in February 2019 that they were going to start forecasting these wind events, these weather, you know, high wind events, and preemptively shut off people's power in response to it. So this is actually when PGN first announced this was going to be a future policy moving forward. Even though a year earlier, they had slyly already done this right when they got fined for the campfire. This is different. They're actually announcing now that this is going to be a future policy. And guess what? And it's coming right off of the timing of the judge telling them, hey, you, got to, you guys got to do $150 billion worth of upkeep work on your infrastructure. What does PG&E do? They're like, mm, no, we actually don't have to do that. We can just shut off our customers' power when these wind events come. I was going to say, while they've cut back on safety measures, and this is also proven, PG&E left $246 million budgeted for moving power lines underground that was mysteriously unspent and diverted more than $100 million into bonuses for executives and, quote, non-employee directors. This is yeah. on The Nation. pg e managed to bless its shareholders with a staggering $4.5 billion in dividends. And the utility revealed last summer, or this summer rather, that it planned to reward its, re- reward its executives with more than $16 million in bonuses. So keep yep. that in mind as we're talking about how they keep saying, no, we refuse to, to fix any of this infrastructure. They already had a quarter billion dollars allotted that just mysteriously went and was rerouted to all these executive bonuses. Are you reading from the actual like judgment that re- like came like in like October? I'm reading from, PG- from The Nation, that the article okay. that I keep citing from... From uh, the same thing that I read from last time about how they're how they're like more expensive than any other utility in the country. Yeah. Well, let me give you some more information about what they're actually spending their money on. So this is really interesting, Abby. Is I'm going to skip ahead in the timeline a little bit. So right before these major rolling blackouts started, where they actually shut off almost you know up to two million powers customers ahead of these winds. A judge actually said something very interesting in court. It was actually the first time I know of that a judge didn't just say PG&E was acting criminally and didn't just say they were basically doing extortion and blackmail on their own customers and passing the liability on to us. The judge clearly pointed out the monetary amounts they have spent on defense lawyers, lobbying, and essentially bribing politicians. The judge clearly lays out in this transcript, he's like, if you're able to spend this many hundreds of millions of dollars on lawyers, lobbying, and all this other stupid bullshit, then your excuse for not being able to like fix the power grid and running out of money is completely bullshit. Declaring bankruptcy, but still being able to pay for all these lawyers, these expensive lawyers to offset your liability, it doesn't make sense. They're obviously lying. They're playing a game here. And the judge laid that shit out as clear as day. Within days of the judge saying that to them in court, that's when they started these massive blackouts. And wow. I'm not saying I can prove 100% the PG&E board got together and said, let's punish the law system in California. But it's, it, it really strongly appears that way, Abby, that the judge basically not just embarrassed them, and, and showed how fucking criminal they're acting, but showed how they're completely lying about why they're declaring bankruptcy. 
They're not running out of money to fix the infrastructure because they're trying so hard to fix the infrastructure and they're just trying and trying and they just can't keep up on these things. They're running out of money because they are a criminal organization who is trying to prop themselves up like a house of cards to avoid criminal liability and they're paying incredible sums of money to do so. That's all there. Unbelievable. So in May 2019, it was concluded that Cal Fire finally concluded with their investigation that PG&E was responsible for the 85 people that died in the 2018 campfire. And it was sparked by PG&E's transmission lines. Month after this, in June 2019, Utility Dive says California fire season starts with PG&E shutoff in five counties. 20,000 customers in Butte and Yuba counties over the weekend of June 8th to 9th had their power shut off, citing dangerous wind conditions. Later in that month, uh, another wildfire started in Monterey County. Uh, a fallen Pacific gas and electric power line sparked a wildfire that burned more than 2,500 acres in Monterey County, according to Cal Fire. Now, this is all, you know, th th it seems like this happens literally every few months. And as I've been telling you, the judges and the actual legal system in place in California believes that PG&E is acting criminally in these circumstances. They are not even doing the proper vegetation management around these power lines that they should be doing. And they're not kept up. They're not kept up to standard. They are decrepit, old, broken power lines. And this is something that PG&E is just not doing. And instead... They want to just turn off the power, Abby, because, you know, if a power, if a power line falls down during a windstorm with the power off, it's not going to hurt anyone, right? But at the same time, everybody who's without power is going to be running generators with gas fumes and lighting candles in their homes, which also can cause fire. So if this was about preventing fire and a public safety thing, PG&E would be doing things a lot differently here. They would be doing things a lot differently, but they don't want the liability on them. If you light a candle in your own house and you burn your house down during a, a enforced blackout, it's not PG&E's fault. It's your fault. You know, they tried to save you. They tried to prevent the fire. So it's your fault if that happens. This is all about offsetting liability and responsibility. Absolutely unreal. Yeah. So, I mean, I think all of this leads to this dire emergency situation where something needs to be done with this company. It either needs to be nationalized. It needs to be regulated more than any other company like it currently operating in the country. Um, it needs to be basically gutted. And regardless of the company itself, yeah, the company is really fucked up and criminal. I already made a strong case for that. But other than that, this is a public safety hazard. And if this corporation can't, isn't going to be forced to do this, then something else needs to step in as a countermeasure and do this. And I don't know if they need to be billed for it or what, or how you get them to pay for it, but it's gone beyond, you know, who's going to pay for what at this point. It is a serious emergency situation. And I, I don't know if there's an easy solution for it. I don't know if nationalizing it you know, or taking it over at the federal or even state level will be enough. I honestly don't know. We're in a really bad way. And I think this is something really fundamentally important. And maybe people don't agree with this, but there are a couple kinds of outrage that people have, societal outrage. There's sort of the moral outrage. You know, the, the what I guess people could call like the woke culture, the virtue signaling, being outraged about racial injustice. Like if you're a, a middle-class white guy, and, and the thing that outrages you most is when someone misgenders somebody, like online, that's a form of sort of moral outrage. And psychologists have largely determined that that is sort of a self-serving mechanism that actually feeds your ego. It's not, it's not and, and I'm not saying it's an unhealthy form of outrage, it's just not an outrage that is actually sort of a collective outrage towards a larger sort of force. Psychologists have determined that that has some kind of self-serving mechanism to do that. But I think there's another kind of outrage that I think is lacking, at least in California, is this outrage where 
you and your fellow human being can get together and express outrage about a higher power that is fucking you. Something about that is sort of like creeping away from us as a population. And I noticed it specifically in California. I'm not saying this is everywhere. But even when the wildfires were happening, Abby, and the smoke was like blocking out the sun here in California, I mean, I saw some people walking around with masks. I saw a lot of people walking around without masks. But the whole time I remember thinking, why isn't there more of like an outrage or a sort of a public safety blast saying, here's where you can go get masks. Here's where we're giving out masks. Um, if you're elderly, you, you know, like I have masks here for like any women or ch small children or elderly people. Like I saw very little of that community coming together. You know, they were like the city itself had like, you could go get masks at like the city council office or something. But of course they ran out within like the first hour. So, you know, while that was happening, like I was sitting in my home with my throat burning, my eyes burning. The smoke was so dense in the air that like people, like I was starting to worry about my, my health, like inside my own home. And I'm, you know, a hundred miles away from the nearest forest fire. And I just, it just dawned on me. Wow. If I'm not sort of outraged and getting out there into the streets and demanding that there's some kind of public safety measure put into place, is anybody else doing that either? And where is everybody? It just sort of dawned on me this sort of lack of public pressure that's put on these institutions or these authority figures. When these rolling blackouts happened, Abby, it really brought that, all those feelings back and even more intensely because I'm sitting there while this is happening, people seem to be going about their business. People are rushing to stores to buy ice, even in some cases buying generators. Like I said, Ricky Henderson was at Home Depot buying a generator that day. I mean, where is the outrage? Where is the outrage from regular people? I, you know, I even drove by a PG&E office in Emeryville and there was like no one there. I mean, you would think that that would be, there would be like protesters there when something like this is happening. But no. It, it just was non-existent. And even more disturbingly, Abby, you would think that on like the local news or local radio spots or whatever, there would be city council members, state representatives expressing this outrage for us, trying to help the public channel this outrage. I, I almost saw nothing. I think I saw maybe one city council person expressing what I thought was an adequate level of outrage at the situation. That was one person out of like a whole week it's like the proverbial uh, frog in the pot of boiling water. It's yeah. a full frontal assault on so many levels. We absolutely need to stop individualizing our struggles and we need to start collectivizing our outrage. And I, I don't know how much more we can take, Robbie, because it's just going to keep getting worse. Absolutely correct. Nationalize PG&E. Nationalize PG&E. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, this is Robbie again. If you liked what you heard on today's podcast, please consider supporting us via Patreon at patreon.com slash mediarootsradio. Depending on the amount you donate per episode or per month, we have different bonus tiers and bonus content and a bunch of freebies as well. So please check that out. And thank you so much for your continuing support. Take care. <laughs>